Well, good morning, everyone. I'm uh, so glad that you're here this morning. I know, uh, don't ever think for a moment that we take your presence here for granted. Uh, we're so, so blessed by the fact that you're here, that you join us, that you listen, watch online. Um, it's just a, a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And so thank you for being a part of this life with us. And we just look forward to continuing to expand this group that gets to do this life together. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, something I found a few years ago that I'll probably, you'll probably hear frequently on Mother's Day. It's called the Mother's Day Index. And moms, I want to let you know real quick, congratulations, because you get a raise this year. Three and a half percent raise. The economy is doing well, so a three and a half percent raise. Now, here's the way it looks like. In the professional world, moms might get paid for things like, now this isn't an all-inclusive list, keep in mind, this is just some, cooking, taxi driver, teacher, child care worker, maid service, community and social service specialist. That one got the biggest raise, in case you wondered, um, of all of them. Hairdresser, accountant, interior designer, and then, of course, my favorite, private eye slash detective. Yes, because mothers, we all know that that is an important role within your household, figuring things out. Who did it? Anyway, um, in case you wondered, that adds up to a new yearly salary of this year, 3.5% raise, $71,297. Give yourselves a round of applause, moms. You're more than worth it. Come on. I, okay, fine. I don't know. Um, I've read this survey for the last three or four years, and like I said, I'll keep looking at it. The one thing it never reveals in this survey is who's supposed to pay that salary? I don't know. I don't know who, where it's supposed to come from. I'm just not sure. But here's the way the list breaks down. It breaks down to only, only a 148-hour work week. It's not bad at all. There's 168 hours in a week. So that means, moms, congratulations, you get 20 hours of sleep per week. That's three hours a night. That's plenty, right? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. But of course, you know, moms, the magic of multitasking and the ability to accomplish so many tasks at one period of time, you know that you're still able to somehow get everything done. And I'll never figure out how. My mom, there were six of us. I have no idea how she was able to get everything done and continues to this day to, to meet most of our needs. I only have one, one sister who lives in another country. So a little hard to, to meet that one's needs, but they still talk every day on the phone or FaceTime actually now. There's a few things that we want to acknowledge as, as a body of Christ um, as we get started today. We know that today, Mother's Day, can be an incredibly joyful, it's a celebratory day for sure. For those of us that were blessed to have good moms, for those of us whose children have uh, done what they're supposed to do, shall we say, in life, um, it's, it's been great. But here's the reality. We know for a fact that there are people listening today that have not shared that life experience. We know for a fact there are people here listening today that did not have the greatest relationships with their mom growing up and maybe still don't to this day. We know for a fact there's people listening that never had a mom in their lives at all. We know there are people in our midst that uh, want nothing more than to become a mom and maybe we're never able to. We know there are people in our midst that have lost a child. We know there are people in our midst that have lost their mom. <laughs> we know there are people who've tried and tried and tried and tried to adopt and it always seems to fall through. And so while this day can be an incredible day of celebration, we understand and we mourn with those that struggle through this holiday because of all of those difficulties. The reality is this, we don't know why. We would love to be able to answer that question for God to just reveal to us why it is that this is our life circumstance, but we may never know why that is. And so what I want to do is just encourage you with a few things. First of all, know that God's love for you does not change. It is not conditional. 
God only requires that we love him first and foremost and that we love others as ourselves. There's nothing else. Those are the only two commands. And God has placed people. God has placed people in every single one of our lives, regardless of our situation, our upbringing, our family status. God has placed people in our lives for us to love, even children that aren't our own. Because those children that are on our own, if they receive this love of Christ, it can make all the difference in this world and beyond to those kids because we don't know what kind of life they have. I can't tell you how many times in the 22 years involved with student ministry, we had students in our ministry and we had adults in our ministry, adults from all different walks of life, adults that were unable to bear children at all, adults who had lost children, adults who couldn't conceive, adults who had terrible relationships with their parents growing up. And yet these adults were somehow able through the love of Christ to love these kids in a way sometimes that even these kids' own parents couldn't and develop relationships with them and mentor them and encourage them and lead them closer to Christ. And that's what God requires of every single one of us. So moms, whether biological or simply by God's design for you as a woman to love in a way that us men just don't seem to be able to, today is for you. But dads, we can certainly glean from the passage we're going to study today as well because it's all about being a follower of Christ and then the results of that faith. We're in our last few weeks of this study of the life, the teachings, the ministry of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and we're looking, we're looking at those last few words Jesus spoke to the disciples in that upper room, and then we'll switch to the last chapter of John where we see what he shared with them after his resurrection. But in these last few moments in that upper room. He was sharing things with the disciples that they couldn't, not they wouldn't, they couldn't understand even if they tried. Because remember, it was before Jesus' death on the cross. They could not anticipate the devastation of Jesus' death. If Jesus had come right out and said, hey guys, tomorrow I'm going to be hanging from the cross outside town and you're going to bury me in a tomb and I'll be completely dead to you. They wouldn't have understood. There's no way they could have comprehended or grasped what he was really telling them. But in the same way, they could never have grasped the reality of what the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life and the power that would come to them as a result of the resurrection would ever mean. There's no way Jesus could explain that. It was just something they had to listen to and ultimately experience for themselves. These teachings all point to a time where Jesus would no longer be physically with them, a time they couldn't dream of or imagine. That's what they left everything to do, was be in the presence of their Messiah forever. And they were going to be left without him. The instructions were not just for them to continue their lives in him, but for them to share his life with others as well. And these teachings were definitely not just intended for those 11 guys that were still there to listen to all of it. Oh, no, 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 no. They're definitely as much for us today in our lives as well. So our theme today to stay connected to the source of life, many of you that have been in the church a long time will recognize John 15. It's a very fam- famous passage. If you haven't been, then this passage maybe as well as any other place in John's gospel begins to describe what does a life in Christ look like? What, who should we be in Christ? John 15, beginning in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and in my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now you remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. Now, as a side note, as we get started, the back of your bulletin, years and years and years ago, um, my wife, when, when I would get the opportunity to, to speak in Sunday services, she, I would make the traditional outline in a bulletin, you know, the bullet point style. A lot of times, even, you got the fill in the blanks. And she just flat out told me, quit doing that, because just don't do it, because it doesn't engage anyone. And she's right, because you and I both know, if you've ever sat in a church service where the outline is in the bulletin and you're filling in blanks, when you get to the last blank, what happens? When are you going to be done, Pastor? Let's go. So when I give you this, you're, you're guessing. You'll never know when I'm done. As a matter of fact, I might put things out of order on purpose. <laughs> Just so you'll know. Anyway, um, that happens. What our goal here is, is to engage you in what's going on. We give you a place to write whatever you want. It might have to do with what we're doing in, in here. It might not. That's fine. God might reveal anything to you at any time. Today's little section in there even has a portion for after service to reflect on the I am statements and think about them and the meaning in your life and the meaning to others and how that might imply. Today's message is the seventh of Jesus's I am's statements in the book of John, the final one. And what you may or may not know, and that's why the I am statements are a whole sermon series in themselves, is that this one is different. All the others kind of related to one another. They all shared a similar theme. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world, the gate through which you can be saved. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, all of those earlier sayings all focused on Jesus as the life giver, and they all included an invitation to come, to come to him. This one doesn't do that. This passage is meant for believers, for people that have already come to Jesus and reminds us to remain in him. We must remain in him. It doesn't happen all by itself. It's not natural, in fact, for it too. We gotta work at it. Jesus calls us to give up our life and exchange what we think is our life and in exchange for that, give his, to live his new life. This life is given to us through an intimate relationship with Jesus. What we don't understand is literally Jesus gives us life in this world. We share his life. Now, we're not talking about the breath of life. We're literally talking about our existence. And when we find that in him, everything changes. Jesus is the vine that we must stay connected to. He's our source for life. And then he strangely, he starts that way, and then he completely shifts gears away from him for a moment. And he talks about the Father. And he shares with them the Father's role in this. Remember, this is for believers. This is for people who are in Christ already. The 11 guys listening already claim to be in Christ. And he tells them the role that God plays in this. He's the gardener. He's evaluating the branches. Are we, his followers, the ones claiming life in his name, are we producing fruit? You see, we can't just claim to be followers of Christ. There has to be proof. There has to be evidence of our faith. If we're connected to, our, to the vine, if we're connected to the vine, then his life literally flows through us. And what I can tell you, if that's the case, it is impossible for you not to bear fruit. 
Because Jesus' life will not return void. He will not fill you with his life and not be producing things out of your life. But notice this, the command is not for us to bear fruit. We're not required to prove our faith by the fruit we bear. In fact, it's not even possible for you and I to bear fruit alone. We're not even capable of it. It's only by the power of the Spirit within us. It's only by the life of Christ within us that we can even bear fruit at all. The command is to abide in Him, to remain in Him. And if we do, if we remain connected to that vine, if we draw our very life from Him, then by the natural byproduct, the natural thing that will flow from us are are these fruit. Yes, the fruit of the Spirit. Absolutely love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that flow out of us when we're connected to the vine. Those that belong, that remain in Him, those that stay connected, we will have this fruit on display for the world to completely see, and they won't understand it. But if there's no fruit, if there's no evidence for Jesus in our life, well, Jesus' words are pretty clear. It tells us exactly what's going to happen. We're going to be cut off. We're going to be discarded completely. Wait, hold on, what? Wait, Jesus. I thought all I had to do was believe, right? John three sixteen. for whoever believes in me. Hmm. It makes us ask the question I've been asking from the very beginning. What does it mean to believe? Clearly, clearly it's the first element of faith, but there's more. Is a mere confession in the name of Jesus enough, or is there more? Because to be a true believer, that means that we love him. And if we love him, we obey his commands. These are Jesus' words. He says, if we love him, we obey his commands. And if we obey his commands, then that means we remain in him. That's what this passage says. And if we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's how it works. That's faith. Dare I say that's what it means to believe. If we don't bear fruit, well, then the garter disposes of us. Verse 6 was very clear. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such a branch are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Why would he do this? If we're attached to the vine, but we're just not producing fruit, why would God come along and say, hey, well, here's the thing. If we're connected to the vine, then at some level, we're saying, Jesus, I don't need your life in me. I've got this. I'm going to produce my own fruit. I'm going to do my own thing. To which, of course, Jesus would say, well, then clearly you're not with me in this. And Jesus says, if you're not with me, well, you're against me. I'll have no part with you. And those are hard words, but that is a reality of our relationship with him. We might have an appearance of spirituality. We might look like Christians. We might call ourselves Christians, but the love of Christ does not dwell fully within us. We haven't fully died to self. We're not compelled by the love of Jesus to love and serve others the same way he does us. Paul warns us of such people in 2 Timothy chapter 3. There will be terrible times in the last days. Listen to this list. People will be lovers of money, lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't need Jesus in me. I'm going to do my own thing. Paul says have nothing to do 
with such people. Sure, we might have a form of godliness, but Jesus isn't fully in us. We're denying his power in our lives. If we are willing to remain in him, if we do remain attached to the vine, then we will produce fruit. Why? Because God will be the one producing the fruit in us. This process strengthens us. It encourages us. It calls us to growth. Then he, he goes on and describes what God does to those of us that are in him. He says, oh, and then I'm going to prune you. Now, those of you that garden do those things, you know what that does. It's a difficult process for the plants. It's a painful process for the plant. They have to, it requires them extra energy to produce the more, just like it will you and I. You might be going along in life, serving, doing exactly what you think you're going to be doing, and then God puts an end to one of those things, or he moves you in a new direction, and you're like, God, what are you doing? I loved this. What was, this was working so well. And then you step back and look at this verse and go, oh, God, you're pruning me. What's next? What's next through this season? Where are you sending me? What am I doing now? It's a difficult process. It's a lifelong process. God continually cleansing us called sanctification. He's making us holy. He's at work within us. As we remain connected to the vine, literally Jesus pours into us, continually cleansing us, causing us to lose all forms of unrighteousness as we're filled with his. And we can't do that on our own. Jesus confirmed that beginning in verse four. No branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But we can't take this next phrase in America very well because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Ah, but Jesus, I can do so much on my own. Jesus, I can do great things all by myself. Oh, really? Can you? There's a great example. There's a great example found in Scripture, see, man, without the presence of God flowing through us, what we do is no good in the eyes of God. The illustration Jesus gave was the rich religious leaders who came into the temple and gave all that they had, allegedly. They just threw everything out there for everyone to see, making all kinds of noise in the offering. While this widow sneaks in the back, offers nothing, but it was everything to her. And Jesus says, well, her offering counted. Theirs didn't mean a thing because they didn't have me in their offering. She gave everything because of her love for me. Don't be like Isaiah warns us in 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts have become like filthy rags, you see, because what we have to offer our Lord and Savior must be driven by his love, his love for us. Nothing else will do. Jesus then continues in verse 7. If, if, just like last week, another if. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, what, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now you remain in my love. If you keep these commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his now, a lot of believers would read this passage and ask a very, very important, honest question. Jesus, I've prayed in your name many, many, many a time, and what I prayed for didn't happen. What I asked for, the request wasn't given, the, the, the whatever wasn't granted. What is going on? Doesn't this passage promise that? Well, let me start by telling you, some people will say that it does. I would be very weary of those people who tell you that because they're not telling you the truth. This passage does make a promise to us, though. It makes a promise that if we are in Christ, if we are in his words, if we are in his teachings, if we are in his commands, then when we pray, 
When we pray, we are going to pray in one way and one way only, and that is according to His will. And when we pray according to His will, then everything we ever ask will absolutely be done in His name and to His Father's glory. That is absolute truth. When we've been cleansed by the work of the Spirit to the point where our prayer lives have this level of richness, and I know some people like this. I would not claim to be one of those people. I'm sorry, I'm not. I know people, prayer warriors that fit this description. And when you reach this level in your prayer life, this level of fulfillment, watch out world. You want those people on your team and praying for you. I promise you do. Church, if we get the leaders of this church, if we as members and body of believers together, if we can teach ourselves to begin to pray in this way, and this congregation can unite in praying in this way watch out. We'll become, we'll become the church that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 16, the church, the big C church that Jesus says, if this is you church, then the gates of hell cannot stand against you. Do we want to be that big C church? Do we really want to be that big C church? Do we really want that? Because if we do, then we have to be those people. We have to be praying that way. We have to be living that life. I have to be that person. One not just fully connected to the vine, but one that is fully dependent on the vine for everything. Verse 11, Jesus says, I've told you this, that my joy may be in you so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is a very deep and very serious teaching for the disciples as they're sitting around that table, and all the disciples didn't understand what was going on, but they heard what he said, and they all probably sat there nodding in approval. Yes, Jesus, we're in. We are with you. I am in you. You are in me. Yeah, we get it. I'm there till the end, Peter says. Remember, I'll die for you, Jesus, Peter says. But really? Yeah, they gave up everything for him. Why would we do anything else, (laughs) Jesus? There's probably a lot of people listening today that would say the same thing. Of course, Jesus. Of course, Jesus. I am in. I am all in. Look at me. I'm here this morning, aren't I? I could be a lot of other places. I'm here. Isn't that good enough? Well, I ask you for the disciples. Were they really all in? (laughs) Because in just a few hours, they all ran away. And in just a few more hours, the leader of the group completely abandoned Jesus. Not only could Jesus not bear fruit in the life of Peter, Peter denied ever knowing the existence of Jesus. Do we do the same? Do our opinions of other people that we know in our lives, in our communities, at work, do they reflect the love and kindness of Jesus? Does our marriage, the way that we treat our spouse, demonstrate the joy and the goodness, the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus? Do we show the peace and goodness of Jesus to our children and their lives? How about within our own personal life, the things that only we know about ourselves, do they reflect the self-control that we are to exist with this fruit that Jesus is bearing 
within us or as some sort of substance abuse, some other life thing taken over that we're hiding the guilt, the shame from everything else. So self-control isn't obvious at all as we blame others for what's happening. This walk, this life, this relationship with Jesus is so much more than just a decision. I think, unfortunately, the church oftentimes portrays it as simply that, a one-time decision, and then we move on, and, well, you're good. Have fun on your own, and that is not what a relationship with Jesus should look like. Belief is so much more than just showing up. But I want to point out something very important to you, that as you look at this passage and look at this bearing of fruit, you look at the work that must be done. Every ounce of this work is done by Jesus, not by us. Our only goal, our only job in this is to remain in him, and he provides the rest. He will produce the fruit. We just must let him work within us. Now, he never promised us it would be easy. As a matter of fact, he said, in this life, you will have trouble. He told us that the road, very narrow. The gate, very small, and very few people will find it. He told us that we must deny ourselves. In fact, take it a step further. He told us we must die to ourselves. But then he also told us some strange things like, uh, hey, when you do this, the life that you find in me will be so much greater than this world has to offer. You will never, ever be able to comprehend it. He also told us that we need to pick up our cross and carry it. But then he also told us that this, his burden, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Wait, Jesus, this doesn't add up. Well, it does when you realize that the cross we carry, the cross we carry doesn't carry the weight of our guilt, of our shame and our sin, because Jesus already carried that cross. He already drug it to Golgotha. Jesus suffered and died to eliminate that burden. Instead, our burden to carry is just simply this, to surrender our lives completely to him. It's a daily call. It's a daily cross that we must bear to surrender our life and put ourselves at the back of the line. This goes against every single thing the world will ever stand for. And so as a result, if we're willing to step out in faith and do these things, well, verse 18 happens. Guess what? The world will hate you just like it hated Jesus first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I, I have chosen you out of the world. Think about that for a moment in the world in which we live. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, of course they're going to persecute you too. If you obey my teachings, though, they'll also obey yours. They will treat you in this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for the sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have both hated me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Think about that in the context of the world we live in today. They hated me without reason. Reason, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. For you have been with me from the beginning. The world hated the disciples. I don't think we can really comprehend in our context today how much the world hated those 11 plus 1 plus 2 with Paul men that went out to spread the gospel. I really don't think we could understand everything they did to try to prevent the gospel from spreading. 
from the stoning of Stephen on and on to imprisonments, to beatings, to eventually death. Because 11 of the 12 that we know of for sure probably died as a result of their faith directly as martyrs for Christ. And yet that didn't even begin to slow down this movement. It was too, too great. And for those of us that wonder about today, will that change? Will people stop being persecuted? No. If you follow organizations like Open Doors or um, uh, Voice of the Martyrs, you'll begin to read, get emails of the statistics newsletters that are very disturbing of the Christian persecution that you don't hear about in America. We don't report it in America, and that's intentional on us. One country alone, Nigeria, saw 3,500 Christians killed last year. 3,500, half the population of Brazil and Indiana killed last year because of their faith in one country. In our country, yes, we're beginning to experience a little more pushback for our faith and hatred even, and it's exactly how Jesus describes it, without reason at all. They hated me without reason. If you, I dare you at some point in time to just have a conversation with somebody and tell them you're a Christian on a college campus, and instantly someone's going to hate you because you're a Christian, and you'll be like, whoa, 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 why? They have an image. They have something that somebody's told them about people of faith. We've got to break that stereotype. So what do we do? What do we do in exchange for their hatred? Well, guess what? We love them. We love them exactly how Jesus did. We demonstrate that fruit from within us that only Jesus could produce because let's be honest, some of those people are not very lovable. And we can use that as an excuse, but as soon as I start to think that way, I think, wait a minute, I'm not very lovable either, and yet somehow Jesus loves me. So who am I not to love? Fill in the blank with whoever you wish. The fruit that those that hate, when they see it on us, when they see it demonstrated toward them, they'll have no idea what is going on. And we get to tell them and begin to change their personality. How can we love someone that hates us? How can we have patience with them? How can we be joyful when this world seems to be falling around all around us? How do we have peace in our lives in the chaos of the world that we exist? Why are we kind to those that treat us so poorly? Why don't we pursue the things that this world is pursuing all around us? Well, because we're connected to the vine. And the fruit that is he's producing in our lives dismisses all of those other characteristics. And so in this Mother's Day, moms and dads, let's start at home. Are we connected to the vine? Is this the example we're setting for our children? And it doesn't matter how old you are, whether it's for your children or your great-grandchildren. Are these the fruit that they see in your life, in our families? Are they feeding from the branches through the work of Jesus within us? Is there a noticeable fruit for those around us, outside of our family, to see better yet? Are they experiencing the rewards of that fruit that Jesus is bearing within you? For some folks in the room, I can tell you because I've seen it, it's obvious the answer is yes. Yes, that fruit is fully there and it's low-hanging fruit. You're very generous with the fruit in your life and God is using you in incredible ways. But then there's also some of us that might be able to step back and kind of look at the vine and go, uh-huh, it's a little bare. Maybe I'm not as connected as I thought. God, renew me. Renew this life within me and allow me to bear this fruit for you once. Again, God, I do not want to be cut off from this vine. No way, no how. God, God, what is it that we need? What is it that we need in our lives? 
There are folks in the room, folks listening, that have never made that decision to make that initial connection with the vine. They've never tapped into that source of life. And so as always, this time is a time to reflect. And if that's you, man, for the first time ever, join us in that incredible, incredible moment. But for many of us, we've been in the church a long time. And we kind of get settled into our routine. And we kind of look back and we can look at our lives and go, well, I'm not in jail. (laughs) I'm not doing anything terrible. But am I producing fruit? And these are the fruit. Can I look at my life? Did I lose my patience this morning even? Am I angry with someone right now? Am I joyful or has the world stolen that from me? Have I given it over? And I need to be reconnected. We pray that maybe this day, this day will reconnect you to that vine in a way and fill you with that presence of Jesus once again. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come into your house and worship. We're grateful for today. Father, we're grateful For mothers, regardless of our life experience, Father, we know there are many situations and we we pray for those in the room that have dealt with and are even in this moment dealing with the difficulty surrounding a day like today. But we pray that you can encourage all of us and empower all of us with your love to simply love others. Father, whatever that means in our context. Father, if there's folks that are listening that have never accepted you, never been connected to the vine, I pray that today is the day that they step out of their comfort zone and they ask to be grafted in, as Scripture tells us, as a part of this incredible, incredible vine that finds a source of life in you. Father, if we're a follower of yours and, and maybe have been connected to this vine since our young years, but we're looking around and we're just not seeing that fruit, maybe we never moved out of that season of life, maybe we got deep, never got deeper in our faith. Maybe we haven't gotten that, that fertilizer to enrich that soil to produce that fruit. We've, we've kind of tapped out and dried out. I pray that today is a day that that renewed life comes to us and begins to live through us. And that in this world that's going to grow increasingly, increasingly more difficult to live in for your followers, in this world that will hate us ultimately, I pray that we love them back. And that this fruit is so obvious. The only thing they can see in us is you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.